All right, guys, before we get started with this epic Dolph Lundgren interview, we got to do some business. Big shout out to all our fans. We love what you guys have been doing for us. Hitting us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and our website, launchpadpod.com. You guys made October the biggest month we have ever had in the existence of the Launchpad Podcast. That is a true fact, and we are so proud of it, and we are so thankful for our fans. So, guys, thank you for making October amazing. Before we get started, we got to give some shout outs to some people who helped us make this episode happen. I got to give a big shout out to Eric Rose. He is an artist. He helped us make these amazing comic book recreations that Rumi and I did with Dolph Lundgren that we are putting out on social media today with this interview. It is a recreation of the original Punisher origin story in Amazing Spider-Man 129. We got to recreate that cover and then the interior art. Matt, tell us a little bit about that interior art. Who made that? Oh, this is uh, from Punisher Max number nine from the first Punisher Max series and it was written by Garth Ennis and it was illustrated by Leandro Fernandez and I actually own the original art for this page and when I was with Dolph Lundgren we were looking through images to recreate and that's one that he picked right away. So it's like just this baller page of Punisher just blowing some people away with a shotgun and uh, Eric Rose helped us do some stuff to uh, kind of make it make it our own, make it make it a launch pad thing instead of a, a Marvel Universe thing so you guys can check those images out. Yeah, he's a fantastic artist. Eric Rose helped us set this up and, and we kind of tag teamed the artwork on it. He did an amazing job so I have to give a huge shout out to him. You can check him out on social media and at ericrose.com to see more of his work. Phenomenal artist. Dude, thank you so much for making this reality. I could not have done it without you. And that's Eric with a K E R I K R O S E rose.com. His stuff is awesome. We've actually traded some art, uh, comic art together. I'm actually a big fan of his art. He's done some really, really cool stuff. Check him out on Facebook. Check him out on uh, his website. And who took these pictures, Rumi? Our buddy Krista Mosowitz helped us out. She actually had worked with Dolph Lundgren. Uh, she works for Trailer Park Inc. and she did some stuff with him for some behind the scenes. I think it was for Aquaman or something. So she actually knew him, but she's got a bitch in camera and she's really like a really good photographer of just like, you know, hanging out with friends. She's always like our group photographer when we do stuff at friends' houses and stuff. And I was like, oh, can you help me out with this? She was like, sure. And she's always down for any of my madness. So it was really cool to have her on board. And also like, this has been important and you know, Rumi, Rumi knows I've been talking about this literally for years to try to set this up. So the fact that it finally came to fruition and it was kind of a last minute, the, the especially the photo shoot part was a last minute, uh, kind of a shaky deal. And Krista was just down to roll with it as she always is. So Krista, thank you so much for that. The photos look frigging great. We'll post some behind the scenes photos of stuff later, but check out all of these bitchin' photos on our social media and on our website. It's I'm so frigging proud. And I got I to gotta give a shout out to my Rocketeer brother, Rumi. Dude, you coordinated it. You did all of the 129 recreation yourself. You supervised Eric, who did the, the a lot of good work on the the Punisher Max page, and then you did finishing touches on that, including adding a belt and stuff. I mean, just blew me away, man. It's like, this is, guys, this is a dream that I had for years to somehow get Dolph London in a Punisher shirt. And all these three people helped me, especially Rumi. But dude, thank you, thank you. Hat super off to you. Um, this has just been so fucking cool, man. And it's gonna get cooler. Guys, see those awesome comic book recreations we did on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Dolph Lundgren is on the Launchpad Podcast. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right. Welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And Matt, 
Oh man, this has been in the works forever. Today, we got Dolph Lundgren on the Launchpad podcast for an interview that you got to do with him. I was in Atlanta doing Walking Dead, but you got to go do this interview. You've been trying to get this thing going for since we started. You know, the fact that you're my roommate and we probably watched Punisher and He-Man and a couple other Dolph Lundgren movies forever. It's always been this thing that's been like missing in my life that he did not have that <laughs> shirt on because we should do a an episode solely about Punisher films, but I think his Punisher movie was the best Punisher movie that there is. The only thing wrong with it is he doesn't have the shirt on at all. Everything else is fine. Even his fake stupid little, you know, charcoal beard. I don't care about that. The guns are cool. (laughs) The action, it could be more. It's 1989, but it's great for what it is. If he had the shirt on, that movie would be the definitive Punisher. Be the definitive one, right? It is is so spot on. The only thing that has the little skulls on are his tiny little throwing knives. Yeah, that's the only time you see skulls in that. Driving around on that sweet motorcycle in the sewer, meditating. In the sewer, in the fun house but it's like it's such a fun ass movie and i was like yeah i would love to talk to him about that and i always had this dream that one day i would meet him and give him the shirt and he would somehow take a picture with the shirt and luckily through the podcast through some networking we had some people hook us up i got to to sit down with him finally and you know i've wanted this for so long but once i finally was in talk with his people he is so busy he's always doing something so literally we'd be like all right what about next week and then they'd say okay next week looks good how about wednesday then i wouldn't hear from him for two days and they'd be like oh sorry we're flying to italy to do a movie. We'll call you back in a month. <laughs> then in a month later, they and it was like, I wasn't sure if they were blowing me off. It didn't seem like they were because they kept responding and kept saying, yes, yeah. let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Then they finally were like, okay, we'll do it. We finally nailed it down to a week, but didn't know what day. And then they just called and they were like, how about tomorrow at four? And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I will get all those, you know, all those balls in the air and we'll talk about some of that later. But uh, it was just so cool. It was one of the more surreal interviews we've done because we've talked to some really cool people that like mean a lot to us, you know, and he's no exception. Yeah. But we met at a swanky hotel and we sat poolside just bullshitting about Punisher and 80s action and He-Man and uh, Stephen Van Zant walked by at one point, the the Bruce Springsteen guitarist and the guy from The Sopranos. He plays Silvio on The Sopranos. He just walked by while we're talking and like the three of us all nodded at each other and it was like, and I have a lot of moments like this in my life where like that happens and I say to myself, that just happened. I'm sitting here with freaking a universal soul soldier and a soprano just walked by and we all like said what's up you know it's like what what kind of life is that you know it's like a forest gump weird ass forest gump it's like a, like a underworld forest gump i know right it's so crazy the stuff that we've gotten to do like just hanging out with the freaking creator of the ninja turtles and then suddenly you're just like th- this is happening because you and i were like let's just start recording this shit and then suddenly it's we like think we're funny and thought more people wanted to hear us <laughs> and now Dolph lundgren is on the show it's like that's crazy to me I- i've done a movie with Dolph Lundgren before. I did the VFX for a movie called Ambushed, which was like 2013. Pretty low budge, which... is what it is, but I got to do a bunch of gunshots and people getting hit, and the whole time I was like, that's pretty cool, Dolph Lundgren's in this, but I never met him at the time, because I'm not there for the movie, I'm there for the post, doing just visual effects, screen replacement, bullet hits, people get shot. Pretty cool, Vinnie Jones, Dolph Lundgren in it, and and I always wanted to ask him about that, I mean, he's, he's done over 100 films, I bet he's like, I don't even remember that movie, what are you talking about? No, it's funny, because I kept being like, so, when you were on Punisher, he's like, we talk about Ambush, and I was like, oh, that, that was kind of low budget, he's like, yeah, but the VFX looks pretty good, I was like, they were okay, let's not go too crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> did he wear the right shirt in that movie? Because that, <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't go shirtless for this one, which is super funny because because you bring that up. You actually get to address that. You're like, man, you are in a lot of movies where you don't wear a shirt. Like most of Rocky, uh, <laughs> most of the Rocky movie that you're in, Masters of the Universe, and a big scene in The Punisher. That's pretty freaking funny. <laughs> My introduction to all Dolph Lundgren is because of you. We watched Rocky Four for the first time together. You showed me The Punisher for the first time together. Really? Masters of the Universe. All the Punisher movies that we've seen, we've done together. We saw the crappy one, the other crappy one, and then the <laughs> sweet Dolph Lundgren one. And that was the first time you saw any of those? Yeah. Oh, well then, if, the, if another Punisher thing comes out, we have to do it together then. I think we should, We should right? keep that. It has to be a thing then. I didn't realize it was, but now it is. I'm pretty sure you and I went and saw Tom Jane Punisher together and both came out being like, bleh. I, de- I don't know who I was with, but I definitely said bleh. At the least, I said bleh. Um, bleh. Tom, Thomas Jane <laughs> did a... Oh, it wasn't his fault. He did a good enough job, but I think the movie was yeah, not written as a Punisher. Like, and he is he is great in Dirty Laundry. Dirty Laundry is a great Punisher vignette. That's what the yes. movie should have been, but that movie was like him getting over stuff. I mean, again, Thomas Jane did a great job in it, but I think they A lot they of people crying. Yeah, it was like about a whiny situation. It wasn't about a vengeance guy. And he was like, Boo. he wasn't a Punisher. He was like a setting stuff up for stuff later Punisher. Like He was like, yeah, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. shoot you. I'm going to make you kill your wife. And you're like, well, that's not really kind of beating around the bush there, Punisher. That's like a Frank Castle with too much time on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, he had no time on his hand. He was a busy boy. He was running through the sewers, trying to get motorcycles into places they probably shouldn't go. And that movie starts busy. with him just punishing, right? It's not punishing. like they, they explain that, you know, you really quick get the backstory, but the movie opens with him killing mobsters. And you're like, got it. You and I have always said this, that the best Punisher stories are the ones where he's the great white shark in Jaws. Mm-hmm. He is Bruce the shark in Jaws. He's the one who, it, it doesn't really matter what he says or what his character is, and we get a little bit of that backstory, but at the end of the day, it's about punishment and him sneaking up on bad guys and just murdering them. Dolph Lundgren looks good in in that role in the, the wardrobe they had him kicked ass, but mm-hmm. he's shooting like a like either an M60 or something like an M60. He looks badass. He's kicking ass. Then at the end, he's got to like team up with a gangster to get the gangster's son back, and it's this shaky alliance the whole time, and obviously at the end, the gangster turns on him. Punisher kills the gangster in front of his old son. Yeah. Dolph Lundgren kills it, and you know, he gets slammed a lot specifically in that movie because he's not acting Shakespeare. But again, this is Punisher. He shouldn't be talking much. I feel like the way Punisher was written and the way that Lundgren portrayed him in that 89 movie was very reminiscent of like the Garth Ennis written Punisher. To the point, not a lot of emotion. I'm not really thinking about what I'm doing. I am the shark. I am just doing what I am doing. And I think that that's why that movie, I think, has the most replay value of any of the Punisher movies I've seen. Certainly over the fucking television series. But it's just so fucking cool. And Dolph Lundgren just I think he kills it in that role. Kills it. And like you said, the only thing that suffers in this movie is that his costume isn't right. He didn't have the shirt on. Y- you get to ask him the question. He's like, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just put on whatever they gave me. Leather jacket, cool. Motorcycle, cool. Don't wear any shirt, cool. You know, whatever it is. But the other movie that he's been in that was like a huge breakout role for him was Masters of the Universe, mm. right? So yep. this is 1987, and this is the movie based on the He-Man Masters of the Universe toy line. Now, any kid who was born in the 80s knows the toy line and knows the cartoon show. I have the power. Like, we've seen that show. We grew up on that shit. And this movie came out and I can't imagine like being super pumped for a movie at that age. I was I was a little too young for it, honestly. I haven't seen it until I was an adult. So watching it now, I actually had a better appreciation for it than I think if I was a fan. If I was old enough to be like, man, Masters of the Universe is totally rad, you guys. And then they made the movie and it's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> 
Because that movie has nothing, like barely has any sort of tie to what the cartoon was. And I found out recently that they literally got the movie rights based on the toys alone. They had zero plot. They didn't know what the movie was about. They didn't know what the cartoon show was about. The people who made the movie were literally like, here are the toys. These are the characters. Great. We got it. And they made up a movie based on that. And to that end, that's pretty sweet. They figured it out pretty close. They're like, okay, yeah, Grayskull, everybody wants it because it's got power. They got the sword. They want the power. Everybody who has the sword can like travel through dimensions. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, what? <laughs> and like, oh, wait, did, did we fall off at this point? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's like the, uh, the, the, the budget. I don't know what the number was. Oh, let's see. The budget, according to this, is the budget was $22 million. So in 87, that's decent, but not ridiculous, especially when you think about Masters of the Universe, the cartoon, the He-Man cartoon, takes place on other planets and in space and shit. Like, it's not anywhere... You can't use any local bullshit. So you have to get a human Earth story in there so that you could shoot on Earth, right? Like, that's a budgetary yeah. reason, especially if you're doing low budget. When you take that shit into account, the effects, the costumes, like Skeletor looked fucking great. Frank Langella was Skeletor in that? Kills it. Kills it in that role. I've read some interviews with the director, Gary Goddard, and he was purposely trying to make the world aesthetically look like Kirby-esque and like old school comic book. And I have to give him credit, A, for even knowing that that's a thing and to try to push and that, you know, the, I heard the studio is pushing back. So there's a lot of inconsistencies visually and plot wise and shit because he was trying to do X and the distribution and the studio was trying to get him to do Y, the director. So a lot of stuff got pushed. But when you look at all those freaking costumes, like I love all the bad guy, like the Stormtrooper-esque costumes and They're the amazing. Bounty Hunter costumes and amazing the throne room of Castle Grayskull was one of the biggest sets at that time. Huge. I think it might have been the biggest indoor set at that time. And if you remember, there's like battles and people are falling off rails into pits and shit. They had to build all that. And like that's Statues the kind of movie. falling over and shit. Yes. And that's the movie that I'll watch with Amanda and I'll be like, babe, they built that. That was real. That guy actually fell half a story, you know, in a set. And she's like, yeah. oh yeah. And I'm like, no, yeah. but you don't like think about that shit, you know? You said Kirby-esque and like when Skeletor gets in his like ultimate form, to me that's so Galactus. It's so Kirby-esque. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The Eternals. Yeah. The best thing I can compare it to right now is if you watch the, like, it's the basically the plot of the first Thor movie, the Marvel Thor movie, where it was mm -hmm. like, you know, he he shows up on Earth and he's kind of a fish out of water and he's like, you know, doesn't know how to get along at a bowling alley and everybody's like, ha ah. It really falls into that vein of like the Thor Ragnarok, that design aesthetic, that, that level of humor of a fish out of water who's technically like a god of a different world and what happens and it's pretty fun the police chief in it is Skinner from the Back to the Future movie James Tolkien yeah you're writing checks your ass can't cash yeah he's basically the exact same character in my mind he retired from the police force and then became a principal oh it's the same guy it's the same universe for sure yeah became the principal <laughs> of another school and just wanted to give Marty McFly some shit <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that we should do an episode about that guy and, and tie those movies in together. Just figure out how that happens. Yeah, right. I know. Overall, even though the movie had no clue what it was trying to do, it pulls off something pretty fun and it does feel like a Flash Gordon sandals and blasters style space opera. Yeah, I remember it was on television. I remember my dad saying, look, Matt, look, it's He-Man. And there was a shot of Dolph Lundgren looking exactly like I would have pictured a live action He-Man with a blaster gun on a hoverboard. And I remember being like, that looks like He-Man, but that's not what He-Man does. But you're like clutching your Battle Cat at that moment. You're like, man, can't wait to see Battle Cat. And you're like, the movie credits roll. And you're like, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you had like an extra furry Ewok with a keyboard in a key, beep, boop, 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 and then go to different dimensions and shit. That's the worst part of that movie is that that little munchkin guy who got lost from Labyrinth. Wildorf? <laughs> yeah. 
That dude got lost from the labyrinth. He's the worst part of it because the makeup for his mouth just isn't working at all. <laughs> well, the thing about that is, and I, I, I do remember, like I, I remember my dad first saying, look, it's He-Man. And I looked on the screen and it was Dolph London, who I'd later hang out with. And... <laughs> 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 but I looked at him and I was like, holy, sh-. as I remember as a kid being like, that man looks like the cartoon. And he did. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the biggest he's ever been. Uh, Adolph London is the most he's ever weighed in the best, not the best shape, but the biggest shape he's ever been in because he had the power, right? He had the power of Grayskull. Yeah. But yeah. the movie, critically, it flopped. And as a moneymaker, it flopped. But I fucking love that movie. And it's so much fun. It's fun to watch for any reason. And I think part of that is my childhood and there's nostalgic value. But it's fun as hell. Like, how can you not? have a good time watching that movie, right? I totally agree. I think the movie flopped because, like I said, they got the rights to make the movie before the cartoon even existed. Mm. So while they were making the movie, the cartoon came out and became a huge hit. And then the movie came out and they weren't at all in the same pace. They didn't know what each other was doing. There was no communication between the animated property and the live action property. So then when they came out, they're like, whoa, you guys did that? We, we were doing this the whole time. They're like, what? So now the movie's so different from what made he-Man, I mean, the toys and the cartoons so popular. So then the fans of the cartoon show are like, what is this movie trying to do? What is going on here? And they, it doesn't make any sense. And we see that to this day, too, where you yeah. see a movie that you have, you know the backstory, you know the characters, you know the canon. Yeah. And clearly some person's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I heard about that. My son talks about He-Man. I know all about it. It's got yeah. Courtney Cox in it, right? You're like, no, no, it <laughs> no. doesn't. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, they go to like different dimensions and worlds and shit. And there's a woman dressed like an eagle and she's not very important. You're like, no, no, that's not true. She's very important. She's very important. That's the main. Yeah. And you're like, what's that wizard with no legs? I'm just going to skip that shit right off the bat. No yeah. orco here. Oh, you mean a little person? No, not a little person. He's like a little flying wizard. <laughs> Which is like, why was the labyrinth reject not orco? He could have easily fit into that world, right? I guess it's easier to make it a little bit. They did really good with Man in Arms and Tila, I thought. I yeah. mean, they, they changed Tila essentially, but Man in Arms was like a badass kind of fighter guy, an older grizzled fighter guy. He even had the big mustache, so they kept that. Yeah. <laughs> That's attention I mean, to detail. That is, they're like, I know what this toy looks like. Here we go. But it's like, it seems like Dolph Lundgren, like with the Punisher and Masters of the Universe was like, the people who made those movies were just kind of like, yeah, 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 Punisher, I get it, I get it, I get it. He, you know, he kills people, right, right, right? They just didn't pay attention to the fact that he wore a big skull, which they're probably like, nah, it doesn't matter what he's wearing, right? But like to fans, like that is, his identity is more his shirt than anything he's ever said. <laughs> I guess that's true, at least like, visually, right? <laughs> but it's funny, too, because we've said this about this character as well as the Hulk, is you don't need a big story. You just need to get the premise. The Hulk smashes. Premise over. The Punisher yeah. punishes killers or, you know, kills killers and then punish. That's it. Period. You could put other stuff in there, but you have to be careful because if you do too much of one way or another, it's not the Punisher anymore. And I feel like that 1989 movie killed it. That was exactly what it was supposed to be. The tone was correct. There was no, I mean, he had that drunk bum who was like helping him do stuff, but he was super, super minimal. He was not super important to the plot. Punisher did not really give a huge shit about him. Never so, fell in love with anybody, didn't have any kids to eat pancakes with. Yeah. The only women in that movie were deadly killers. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, it is time to get to the Dolph Lundgren interview. But before we do, stay tuned to after the interview, because Matt and I are going to talk about the behind the scenes of how we made this incredible artwork, recreating the amazing Spider-Man 129 and Punisher Max number nine art using Dolph Lundgren and the Rocketeers from the Launchpad podcast. <laughs> now, let's get to the Dolph Lundgren interview. 
All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I am Matt, and I am here with a legend, none other than Dolph Lundgren. Mr. Lundgren, thank you so much for taking time to come to the Launchpad. Thanks, man. We are here at the Sunset Marquee Hotel and uh, just sitting poolside talking with a, an action, a blockbuster action movie star from the 80s and 90s. You, you don't realize this. I'm sitting next to my childhood right here. Oh, okay. I literally <laughs> played you in my backyard. Oh, okay. My, <laughs> multiple times. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm starting to realize that now when you get older, you kind of get people saying that and you kind of get a, more of a sense of your career. You know, when you're in it, you don't think of it that way. Really? Even like, even yeah. you, you've done so much and you, yeah. you've been here for so long doing so many different things. You, you haven't felt that until just recently? No, recently I started realizing going to these comic cons are getting more mm. kind of popular now that, yeah, I guess why I quit chemical engineering and sports and, and became an actor was really to entertain people and try to make them feel good, I guess, and lighten up their life somehow. That's what most people, what most people say, you know? You've had such an amazing career that, that, actually spanned multiple careers and bounced around a little bit. You've done so many different things and you kind of, it seemed like you kind of slipped into acting. It seemed like there was a spot for you. You nailed it. You had this, this persona and this, obviously a physical ability and you just came in and rocked it. Like I said, I, I, I don't know why I'm, I had that instinct. I, I did some acting and some sports when I was younger and did played music. And I think what it, what it was, was I, I needed to kind of express some, some emotional, energy that I had inside that I, I didn't really, I wasn't aware of it really, but it, it came out when I was a fighter and it came out in acting. And, mm. and I, just recently in the last five years, have I sort of dealt with it, whatever happened in my, you know, my childhood, like all other actors, you know, it's like David Mamet said, nobody, nobody with a happy childhood ever went into show business. <laughs> so, you know, he's partially correct. So I'm one of them. Uh, it, I mean, what an amazing story. You've done so much. And like I said, there's so many things that I could sit here and talk to you about. Uh, I'm going to start a little broad and then narrow in, but you are most well known for the action movies that you were in, but you've also written, directed, produced so much. But again, I don't want to take you know your whole weekend here. I read somewhere that you said a quote that was something to the effect of action films are an extension of Greek myths, which have been around since Homer's The Iliad. Everybody's life has some mythical quality. You struggle against obstacles. You fight to get to a higher level, and there are great loves. With an action film, it's just more apparent, and that's why people will always love action movies. Did you say something like that? Yeah, that sounds very, very clever. <laughs> I must have read it from somewhere. It sounds like someone who has a degree in chemical engineering said that, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe had a degree. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true, though. I mean, mythical pictures will always be around, and whether it was, you know, the Three Musketeers or the Iliad or whatever, it's the same kind of hero's journey that people can relate to as and relate to in their own lives. Everybody's making the hero's journey in our, in our short life on this earth. And that's why certain pictures are always going to be around, you know, certain, certain stories. And do you think in that, that quote, you, you reference how the, the Greek myth kind of relates to most people. Do you think that's why you as an actor, as a director, as a producer, is that why you gravitate towards action as a genre? Perhaps you're right. Yeah. Somewhere deep inside, I, you know, I can connect with people who are under extreme circumstances like soldiers or law enforcement or, you know, even, yeah, the, the, the physical, emotional challenge. It, I, I'm interested in, in those environments, you know, and uh, I suppose I, I never thought of myself as an action star. I started studying acting in New York and then, you know, I went out for different roles to pay the rent and one of them was this boxing movie, you know, and it turned out to be Rocky 
before. And, I've heard of that, actually. Yeah, yeah, I did too. It, I didn't know what it was, <laughs> but I, I just saw a little handwritten sign, Rocky, you know, one V, okay, four, I guess. Yeah, I think that action movies kind of sought me out. It kind of mm. found me. And I never really wanted to make them originally, but then I got caught up in it. And it's only recently that I've tried to put a little more, uh, you know, human aspects, kind of focus more on that part of it, because I've done so much of the action already. As far as the action is concerned, both, I guess, at the beginning of your acting career, not even acting, but your film career, as well as now, what action movies do you like to watch as an audience member? Like what, you know, I watched your movies growing up when I wanted like, you know, that adrenaline pump and I wanted like feel action. What kind of movies or what specific movies do you watch? Well, I don't watch that many movies, to tell you the truth. My girlfriend's really upset because I never want to go to the theater. <laughs> I just somehow, you know, because I'm in them, it's, it's like I don't want to, I take them apart a bit when I watch them. If they aren't re- really good, then I, I sort of s- kind of like an observer more than a participant. But um, I suppose movies I do like that I remember are... Films that are mythical, like Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood, sure. and uh, like uh, Gladiator, for instance. Um, you know the Godfather pictures. You know Scarface, which is more of a um, tragedy than a comedy. You know there's t- mm-hmm. comedies and tragedies in Greek in Greek theater, right? And uh, so I like those type of pictures. You know, as far as action movie stars are concerned, you are one of the biggest from the '80s and '90s. Yeah. Are there any stars that again? Not as a contemporary, someone who knows these guys personally or at least professionally has worked with them, but as an audience, is there any guy or gal that you like to watch in movies, like specifically action movies? Well, I mentioned some of them. Clint Eastwood's always watchable. You know, Sean Connery was watchable. And they had long careers, so I kind of identify with them to some degree, I guess. When they started off, they were doing certain things, more more physical things, and ended up being you know, more dramatic actors and, and working as, especially as Eastwood worked as a director as well. But I like Kevin Costner, Mel Gibson as well, and Stallone, I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, recently, I think Statham is good. He's watchable. Um, recent action stars. There's so many of these superhero pictures now where sure. they're not really action guys or gals. I mean, not that many of them athletes originally, which is the way it started way back, you know. Mm-hmm. So I suppose, yeah, that's, that's some of them. Well, comparing you know, how these films are cast both now and back in, in your day in the, in the, in, I guess they, I think it's the heyday of action because I don't think anything has touched that since like the late 90s. But do you feel that making an action movie, whether you're producing, starring, directing, acting, do you think that making that movie is different today than it was then in the 80s and 90s? And if so, how? What have you seen that's different? The main difference in the industry is that because of television and, and because of uh, cable, Netflix, and you mm-hmm. know, there is that medium range, budget range between say twenty million and hundred million, or say say between ten and sixty million, where sure. there are not many films made there, like pictures like Scarface or Heat or you know a lot of the films I did, like the, the boxing movies. I get Creed too was an exception at about forty fifty million because now. The studios go for a billion dollar gross, you know, they, yeah. they're trying to find a new Academy Award winning actor and stick him or her into a superhero role, that's the model, and put him in a suit and get him five doubles and, mm-hmm. you know, a great stunt coordinator and lots of CGI and then you have an action movie right. or a superhero picture. But real action movies now, I don't know, there are not that many left really. It's like the old school way was, 
you know, one kind of larger-than-life character who could do a lot of stuff themselves. Sure. Whether it was Sean, uh, Steve McQueen driving his motorcycle or Arnold, you know, kicking ass or, you know, beating up a few guys, you know, for $20 million. <laughs> Or, you know, uh, and, a, and a plane. Or, you know, um, yeah, it was a little different because you needed athletic skills. So the casting process more... You're going for now the actor, the dramatic actor, and then you supply mm. everything else by um, technicians. Now, you who were the athlete, you were the bodybuilder, you were the, the martial artist then. That was your, your, your foundation. Then you got into acting. When you do a movie nowadays like Creed or, I mean, uh, like Expendables, you have more of a... Um, an old school training, I guess, or an, at least an old school experience as far as action movies. Do you feel that you have to adapt to be in a movie like Expendables because it's it's literally built differently than, say, like Red Scorpion or, you know, something like that? Look, it's just a lot easier physically now. 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 Yeah. In one way, you don't have to do as many fights. You don't have to do crazy stunts. You, you have to do painful things like hanging in the cable rig for eight hours and sure. fly out of a blue screen, which, you know, cuts into certain parts of the male anatomy that the heavier <laughs> you are, the worse it gets. And I'm, I'm 230 pounds, so for me it's really sucks, basically. <laughs> so that's not good. But, you know, I think it's easier. I, and, and I've done so much action. I know I can't repeat some of the stuff I've done physically because I'm older now and I don't want to get those injuries. So I I try to focus more on the dramatic part, and I've been fortunate lately to work with some good directors where they try to bring other things out of me and, and you know, work on other parts of, of my personality than just kicking ass, which, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't mind doing that either, but it's, <laughs> You're pretty it's, getting good old. At it. it's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> you are actually really good at kicking ass. Uh, you know, just looking at your IMDb page, there's so many movies that you have played an action star, both both good and bad. Actually, before we did that, get to specifically one of my favorites of yours, you've played good guys, bad guys. Do you, is your heart in one place or another? Do you like to swing back and forth? Do you, or you know, do you have a preference between evil or good? Not really. I mean, it just depends how the character is written. And sometimes, in the past, I did a lot of some bad guys that were quite well written. You know, a few of them, like. Mm. You know, I've probably done 80% good guys and 20% bad guys, but the people remember the bad guys because they were bigger movies and they were, they were better written, you know, sure. well-written pictures like Rocky IV or whether it was Universal Soldier or Johnny Mnemonic, even in The Expendables, yeah, the first kind of wiggle back and forth Back and forth. But, you know, right now I'm trying to play, I'm trying to hook into other parts of my personality and I usually, that's better done unless it's a really good script, it's usually done better for the, for the character lead because mm -hmm. there's more time to develop the character, you know. But then you got movies like The Rock where he had a great, you know, uh, or like uh, In the Line of Fire, he used to do that picture. I just came to my mind, John Malkovich and that. I mean, mm -hmm. he was a bad guy, but he, I guess he won the Academy Award. He was nominated, so it can happen too. You could go back in time and be in any other action movie that you were not already in is there one or two that you're like, ah, oh, I would have loved to have done that one? Gladiator would have been cool. I, I saw the, the, I heard, I think Ridley Scott said in an interview that you were up for that, right? Yeah, well, what happened? No, I got sent the script early on before um, Ridley Scott was up uh, involved and before, of course, before um, Russell Crowe was involved. But no, it was something that I, I, I read and I thought, oh, this is a piece of crap. 
<laughs> I'll never make any money. No action. <laughs> That's a good. That's doing? hysterical. Hey, what's up? Oh man. Yeah. So anyway, that was one thing I did, and um, I mean, I missed, but um, those type of you know mythical characters. I mean, somewhere in there would have been fun to be part of. Maybe like the Vikings with Kirk Douglas or something back it in the day. It seems like you like sword and sandals type stuff. You want to go back in the day. Or World War Two would have been good too. World War Two pictures. I like I like historical <laughs> movies about mythical characters. That's the kind of stuff I read mostly. Mm-hmm. You know, nonfiction, Civil War, U.S. Civil War. Um, you know, World War Two, Roman Empire, uh, Vikings, that kind of stuff. Man, that's, you are like a Renaissance man. You can learn from the past, you know, and you know things are just simpler in a. In a even though it was worse as always, but it was simpler in a good way back in the day. I, I can see that. Back in the day, I used to watch a ton of your movies. My absolute favorite, hands down, 1989, Mark Goldblatt's The Punisher. Okay. Thanks. Back when I was younger, I wasn't a huge comic book fan. I'm a huge comic book fan now, but I was a fan of an action movie, and this movie holds up. Mm. I watched it in preparation for this, but oh, I've sure. seen it you know, a couple years ago. It holds up. It's a good 80s action film. Uh-huh. What do you remember most about working on that film Ooh. well the first thing that hits me is that i was renting a house down in malibu off the beach house and and they messenger over a bunch of little comic books for me uh, mm-hmm. read called the punisher i never heard of it didn't know what it was some guy with a skull in his, on his chest and I, I don't think i read them i think i was hung over that day or something i don't think i even looked at him and then i got the offer for the picture and I knew that Robert Kamen wrote the script, and I'd know he'd written, he'd written um, Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. And I met him, and he was a karate pr- practitioner. He knew a lot about my background in karate, so we connected on that level. And then I thought the script was pretty good. Uh, the script was nice. And I was, then I, I remember the fights with, all the, with these two Japanese guys. Mm-hmm. There were two fighters they brought over from Japan, and they both hadn't, hadn't, hadn't done any movies. They thought it was like real fighting. They were there to fight me, you know. <laughs> some kind of street fight. They didn't know anything. And one was 19 and the other one was maybe 23. And about how old are you in that I'm time? I'm about uh, 30. Okay. 30. And uh, maybe one was 23, one was about 27. Yeah. So they were really tough. And of course they, it was, you know, it was really hard for me to keep up with them because I had these heavy boots on and I had mm-hmm. the leather pants. It was really hard to kick and move. And, and but I, you know, I did pretty well. I remember one of them, he became a world champion after the younger. He, I had to stab him. I had to stick him with his spear and st- into up the against, wall, right? Into the wall. He, he refused to do it. He, suddenly he says, no, I had my family back in Japan, the dishonor and all this. And they convinced him to do it, but he was in tears. The wow, guy really? Yeah, I didn't want to do it. And the other guy, actually in the same fight, I'm fighting both of them, I think. And, and one of them mm-hmm. is supposed to break off the spear with a roundhouse kick. And of course, the... The uh, the breakable spear they they didn't get it they only had five and they needed to do one more take so they just put the real one up and he just snapped it in half. Wow, yeah, really? I remember that. That's yeah. how you did it in the eighties, right? Yeah, you <laughs> did, man. I remember. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty impressive. Now this is a movie and it's a character who's you know guns and ammo like you said big boots leather leather pants you're riding yeah. a motorcycle a lot in that film. This is a couple years after Rocky IV, yeah. which is a boxing movie, which yeah. I guess is more closer to your martial arts and you know hand-to-hand combat background. Was it a big transition for you to go from that sort of um, mentality and physicality into more of like 
I mean, I guess you do do some like fist fighting, but it's less martial arts, more shooting and stuff in that movie, right? Was that a big transition for you? Not that much because I I done I done Rocky Four, then I did Masters of the Universe, who had the sword play. Yep, and then Red Scorpion, which had both fighting and guns, and that was the first one. Red Scorpion was the first one where I carried a gun and mm-hmm. I think shot people and all. I mean, Rocky movies, she just beat them up. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No, no problems. <laughs> that, so, so that's why Rocky movies aren't really action movies. They're more dramas because there's no like gunplay or anything like that. So they're that's why people want awards for them and stuff. Uh, but um, I think with the Punisher, what I remember was I was working with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. Mm-hmm. He plays the cop in there, and he was a big. I was a big fan of his from uh, Officer and a Gentleman. I'd seen that picture yeah. when I was younger, and and. Uh, I think the big change was um, riding the motorcycle was different, uh, difficult, and, and dangerous. Mm-hmm. This Harley they'd built for me, and um, because, because you hadn't, hadn't been on a motorcycle before, or because it was difficult to it ride. Was difficult to ride that one because they okay. str- they'd cut it and, and stretched it to make it bigger. So it was and then it was quite a rake on the on the front yeah. the fork. So it was difficult to drive, and I had to drive up the ramp and this up in the. It's like a theater. It's like a funhouse thing fun you had to drive through, yeah. I had to drive up there, and as I know I did it, I was like, it's really dangerous, you know. I did it all myself, like an idiot. But uh, <laughs> I remember that. And the fights were tough because it was martial arts. With These were the best fighters from Japan. They weren't stunt guys, you know. That was difficult. But I think I, I remember mostly trying to uh, working with the Lou, and, and uh, yeah, it was an interesting shoot. It was a big part it was cut out. The whole opening sequence where... My family's killed and burned in a, they burned to death in a car that blows up and all of this. And I do this high fall. I did it myself. I did this like 90 foot, I think it was, or 80 foot high fall into a bag like an idiot again. Did it myself. And I hurt my back a little bit. They cut that out of the picture too. It's like, damn. Ah. Shit. And this is in Sydney, right? Sydney, yeah. So... When you're shooting there, it was an was it American crew and an American production, right? Uh, American production. It was a lot of Aussies from George uh, Miller's pictures from um, from the Mad Max pictures mm-hmm. from uh, Mad Max one and two. Yeah, there were some the costume designers. That's why the outfits a little like Mad Max, yep. and and the stunts were Mad Max people too. When you're doing your own stunts, did they ask you to do that, or were you like, I'll do it? A bit of both. Yeah. Back in those days, it wasn't as strict, you know, mm-hmm. with the insurances, and they never did, like, physicals and stuff like that. Yeah. I think some of them I did out of boredom because I had nothing to do, and I was on set, and, and I wanted to, I never done, jump, I never jumped into an airbag before, so I wanted to try it. But, of course, I almost missed, hit it on the side, and there are boxes on the side, but I went into the boxes and snapped my back somehow. But, huh. you know, Red Scorpion, I did a lot of stunts, too, and I was in Africa, and it was boring as hell. <laughs> and hot as hell, like I did a jump from a motorcycle to a truck, like a transfer mm-hmm. over, which is quite dangerous at speed, you know. Uh, did that myself. I remember that was dangerous, but uh, mostly it was because I wanted to do it, I think, in those days. It sounds like a blast. I mean, it I would was. try it when I was young and stupid, too. I would give it a shot. Look, I'm telling you, like, just the other year, I was watching one of my movies just came on TV with my girlfriend, and, you know, she's 20-some years younger than me, and... Karate, karate girl, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and I came in. It was uh, I come in peace. That picture that oh, I, that's like a if, whole nother podcast. We yeah, could there's do. a whole there's a scene when I come running into this crime scene. No, it's a bar, and I come running with a shotgun, with a soft shotgun, and I I play a cop, and I do this role. I come running in one shot like a dolly, and I 
roll, jump over this couch, roll them, come up with a shotgun. And, and it was, I was watching myself like, shit, I could see it's all, and I did the whole thing because it was in one shot. There were yep. no cuts, right? And she says, that was that you? I said, yep. <laughs> was she impressed? Yeah, she was. And I was really impressed. It's like, you're like, that was me. How the hell did I do that? I mean, well, maybe Jackie Chan would do it or something like that. But that was, you know, being a big guy, it was pretty good. That movie was a movie that I remember seeing the video title for years in, yeah. you know, the rental store when I was a kid. And I never got to watch it as a kid. <laughs> and I watched it like in college. And it was every bit as badass and awesome as I hoped as a kid it would be. Yeah. You know, even when I watched it in like the late 2000s, I was like, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother podcast. Though. Yeah. 89, you're doing Punisher. Superheroes had not really become a thing in film yet. There had been some, but it certainly isn't like what it is now for sure. No. Tim Burton's Batman is released later that year, but I think it's released after you guys are shooting. I think you're, you were shooting in like August, so late summer, early um, fall. We shot, in 80, we shot in 88. So. Oh, so you actually shot in 88. So that was definitely before Batman. Yeah, and Batman was 89, right? Yeah. yeah. So when you're shooting a Punisher movie, was there a stipulation with you or any of the crew or cast where like, oh, I'm doing a superhero movie? Did that matter to anybody? Was that even on anyone's radar? No, I think what it was was playing a comic book character, which was unusual and it was risky. And I, I didn't even know if I wanted to do it because mm -hmm. it was a guy who was came off the page. Right. The only other guy who I knew was Superman, who the old Superman looked goofy. And the then there was Christopher Reeve, which obviously was a great film, but it wasn't really action. It was... Kind of a romantic comedy, you sure. know. So I wasn't sure about that. It was the same with Masters of the Universe. That was a toy. That was oh, even yeah, worse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be a toy now. Oh, Did nice. you know you're going to be a toy? Did you see no, that? No, there was a toy before me. No, no that's what it was based on. But yeah. they're making four, I think, four more figures from that movie, including you. Oh, from which film? From Masters of the Universe. No. I, I'll I, show you a picture. Oh, are they making you new ones? Good. Yeah, new ones. Okay, hey, hey. I didn't know. No. <laughs> yeah, you look good. Okay. <laughs> um... When they, when you read Punisher comics, even the softest ones, he's kind of like a badass character, right? Yeah. Theoretically, he's killing people, and you know it's all bad guys, but he's usually a no holds barred character. When they were making the movie back then, it definitely was released with an R rating. Was there ever any talk of making it softer, like more family friendly, more superhero, and less vigilante? No, I don't think so. I don't think they really knew the marketplace the way they do now. Sure. And they, you know, they cut the f whole opening sequence out because. Maybe to shorten the picture, or maybe it was to, uh, they didn't want to see who, what the Punisher looked before he was the Punisher. I don't know, but, but I think you're right. There was, um, I don't think anybody thought of that. And I know New World Pictures that did it, they went into bankruptcy around that time. So the, the release was kind of compromised, you right, know, right, the marketing right. campaign. You shoot so many guns in this film. Yeah, I know. Was that the first time that you've really ever either, either in or out of a movie done things like that with a lot of action and, 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 and weapons, firing weapons? I'd done things in Red Scorpion where it was an AK-47 mm -hmm. and maybe some other guns as well. Um, but I, this was a combination because I come down through the ceiling on a rope right. carrying an M60 machine gun, you know. And I know for Rambo, for First Blood, they, they had a made, they made a smaller M60. Yeah. Or a slice character, you know, like a mini version. But this was the real one. It was really heavy. You didn't heavy. need the junior. You had no, the, no, the, the full whopper. Yeah, the, the, the dad, the papa <laughs> M60. Yeah, I had that one. No, I'd, I'd done it before. But I think it was the combination of the outfit, the guns, the dark hair as well. Yeah, yeah. So in those days, they had like 
series die. It was like it never it didn't come out for six months. It was there. It was it. You went home and it was the same color. And they didn't color. tell you that before, right? They told you no, afterwards, by the no, way. That's it. Good luck by with the this way. hair for a while. Good Grow luck. it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, I mean, that movie's so fun with the, with the guns. You look just as comfortable shooting the M60 as you do meditating naked in the sewer talking to God. Um, <laughs> Jesus, who wrote this stuff? Dude, I got to tell you, I've read hundreds of Punisher comics. I've never read one where he's crouching down naked in the sewer. I, I, didn't, I didn't read any of them. So, I, I so just, they lied to you, man. They were yeah, like, no, he does this all the time. I think I did. He shoots what guys they, they naked told me to, In those days, I was just used to taking orders in the dojo. And I did pretty much, I had some ideas myself, but I think I pretty much did what they wanted me to do. I didn't think about it much, you know. I know that it is not the most critically acclaimed film, but it is great. It is so much fun. I hope you and your girlfriend get to watch it and you could show her all the cool stuff that you did in there and she could be just as impressed that you did that stuff. Yeah, okay. Thanks, man. <laughs> all right, so Punisher was not the only thing that I watched you and then imitated you in my backyard. I also did He-Man. You, I mean, which technically was the Masters of the Universe. This is 87. I, re- I was, I was the, a kid when that first, the toy line first came out. So I was a huge He-Man Masters of the Universe kid. And... I remember watching the cartoons like crazy and the movie was on television and my dad was like, and my dad's really not a cool guy. He was like, check it out. It's He-Man. And then there's you pretty much naked on a hoverboard again with a cape and a gun. And I was like, that's not He-Man. And he's like, no, no, watch, watch, watch what happens. And it's an interpretation of He-Man. I'll give you that. But it was as a kid, I thought it was awesome. I thought that was so cool. That might've been the first time I saw a cartoon or, you know, comic book, thing on the screen live action that might have been the first time i've ever seen that translated but yeah, it, blew, it blew my mind I, well i was part of kind of trying to make somehow these attempts of making i guess now i listening to you making um you know um comic book characters mainstream mm-hmm. and that was part of that kind of transition of the the early part of it at least you know you go back and watch the batman tv series now or superhero or superman and it's it's very it's ridiculous the outfits and you know their arms are like this thin and mm-hmm. of course now everybody's wearing muscle suits it's yep. different like i wore in aquaman but in those days it was just you, you had to work out and get cut and not just you know don't drink any water for a few weeks you know just to get ripped you know that was just <laughs> there was just no other way around it and that was my focus on that picture was just staying in shape for uh four months five months whatever it was well the Punisher, as much as I love that movie, the only thing that I would change about it is you don't wear the skull shirt. In this movie, you don't wear a shirt. There's no shirt the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you basically have on like a leather The outfit's thong, the right? size of a stamp, basically, yeah. I mean, I, from uh, man to man, I have no, no problem saying this, but you look good in it. I wish I looked like that. And it was <laughs> cold. Where were you shooting? We shot that in Whittier, which is like the hometown <laughs> of Richard M. Nixon, just mm-hmm. in case you're is a big fan of his. Yeah, and it was really cold, middle of the winter. I was on that damn disc, and it was on a, a side of a truck and an arm, you know, on the, you know, on the hydraulic arm. And I, I was out there freezing my ass off, literally, because I was standing there, you know, and it's like 45 degrees, and I was tough. Had you seen any of the cartoon prior to, to really get, you know, getting into the script or being offered the role? Did you watch any of it first? Not really. I mean, there was a tiger, and there was like... This <laughs> is a guy running around saying, I have the power, but you, you know, stick figures. I, I knew what it was. As a matter of fact, when they, um, 
got me the part. They when they announced it, it was at Radio City Music Hall in New York, and there was like a room full of kids, little kids with their little toy swords, going, yeah. "I have the power." And I came <laughs> out there, I remember, looking around like, "What the hell? Am I got myself into here?" And they introduced me on stage, but you know, I was I was a kid, and I was just excited to do something different, and I was in. Mason State Parade there as He-Man, and that was a circus. If I was you, I would have demanded that tiger. How old that? I think that would have yeah. changed the movie, right? Yeah, they should have. Maybe in the, they're going to reboot it now, right? I heard, so, I heard uh, they just cast the new He-Man. Like oh, I literally did. got my co-host sent me a thing today saying oh, sure. who, it was. who is it? Not Dolph Lundgren. No. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's not no. going to not going to be nearly as badass as yours was. <laughs> well, I'll have to work out. He-Man, you you watch this cartoon? Yeah. He is. Just basically this giant ball of muscles and a, a mullet, essentially, in hairy mm. underwear in the cartoon. Yeah. And his name is He-Man, right? There's nothing more masculine than He-Man. <laughs> and they call you and are like, Mr. Lundgren, we want you to be this character and not wear clothes the whole time. Is that like a, a little bit of an ego boost to be like, we want you to be like the token cartoon masculinity figure in America? I guess so. Even though for me... <laughs> It was it was just a nerve wracking experience because I just start I mean, co starred with Stallone in in Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I was without a shirt and part of that picture. A lot of that movie, I was I was used to being on screen without a shirt and you know being in shape and all. But playing a Russian bad guy and I was going to play He Man, like you said, a kind of American hero and and I was kind of I don't know. It was it was a bit daunting for me. I was only 27, 28 years old, you know. <laughs> And there was no Stallone around to watch my back. It was Golden Globus and, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Canon Films. Do you think that if they remade that movie today, it would be, or I guess, how do you think that movie would be remade differently today? Well, you know, what I like about it, actually, that film, it is kind of, there's, it's a certain charm to it. Sure. It's charming, and, it, you know, it's okay flawed in some ways, but it's charming in the story, and with a, it's like a fairy tale with a, the boy and the girl who travels to this other country. It's a bit like, um, like uh, Peter Pan or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has that where you know I'm sure if they remade it today, it's going to be a little more muscular, a little more you know tougher story, a little more of a, I hear the bad guys and you know say well I don't know it'll just be a little more contemporary maybe not as cute. And on a I think on a technical level. I just I watched this movie two nights ago. The Castle Grayskull interior set looks like a giant set. It looks like they cut pieces of the floor out <laughs> so that when you fight, you know, evildoers, you can knock them into the pit and stuff. <laughs> but, like, that was a set that you were on, right? Yeah. Like, there was a throne. There were giant statues there. How does that experience differ from something like Aquaman? Well, it's like night and day. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest set, apparently, that they, I think, was the biggest ever built interior sets in Hollywood up to that part in time. Oh wow! They had two sound stages over at Lionsgate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two big sound stages put together. Because you're right, the statues were, I don't know how tall, maybe like seventy feet tall or something. Like you're not going over there. in the movie. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> they're all in there, and and you know, so yeah, it was a huge set. But you're right, that would be, you know, that would be blue screen today. Like in Aquaman, I'm hanging in there and. James Wong comes out saying, okay, there's a thousand people over here. There's a thousand new soldiers on this side, and there's another thousand over there, and then you're attacking. There's another, you know, army down here, and you're coming down, and you see Dragon, which is like a blue piece of wood I'm sitting on, (laughs) and then you're going to attack those people down there, and you turn back to your your forces behind you, and there's nothing there, of course, just some stunt guys eating a donut and being bored, basically, and, you know, that's the difference, so... 
And I think you, you had mentioned the word charming and you mentioned the word a fairy tale. I feel like when you when you watch Masters of the Universe, some of that I think comes across in the the craftsmanship of the film because you were really there looking like you really did and you were in that actual place with actual, you know, prop and 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 set elements. When you have it all digitized and it's all from a computer, I think inherently that feels a little bit sterile and I don't want to say it's movie magic, but I think that comes through the film. And I think as the audience member, you you don't see the texture in the you know the statues. You don't see the physicality of that. And I think that that makes a weaker experience overall. So I agree with you that you're you know uh, uh, the older movies you you feel that. I feel like you feel like that sometimes. Yeah, it's true. Some have the have the legs because the story's strong enough. You watch Wizard of Oz; it's made like 1939, and you can still kind of enjoy it. Even you can see all the goofy stuff and all mm-hmm. the fake costumes, and you still kind of follow it like a kid. It becomes you become a kid again. But obviously, today everything is digitalized, and and people just expect that. So I'm sure if it's remade, it will be another picture like that. You know, mm-hmm. and there are very few of them that stand out. They pretty much one after the other. This one every other week, and they more or less blend into one, in my Absolutely. mind, anyway. Well, I think the, the studios and the Hollywood is cranking them out so fast and so hard, it's more of a product now and less of an art. Not that it was always film business, right? It was always the industry, but I feel like there's a lot less love now and they're treating it more like products, not like a piece of art that people will enjoy, you know, in some shape or form. Yeah, that's correct. Well, most... Studio pictures now. It's just if you don't make a billion dollars, it's a failure, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, movies like The Godfather and those type of pictures. Are, I mean, they they come out once in a while. They once in a while they make films like that now, but not that often because it's it's a corporate and you know everything everything is corporate. The studio is owned by a huge corporation. Have nothing to do with filmmaking usually. Mm-hmm. You know, they do something else. So it's you don't have that. In the old days, I guess the head of the studio was Jack Warner. He was a film guy right. from the beginning. And he, if he said yes, if he took a cigar out of his mouth and said yes, it was a yes. And that was, you didn't have to ask. He didn't have to ask anybody. Right. Well, that was the studio system was different, <laughs> right? The whole yeah. beast was a different monster back then. Yeah. So not keep you here all day. You had sure. mentioned movies coming out. If you got a call that they were going to re-release a special <laughs> edition Blu-ray of the Punisher. Yes. What special feature would you want there to be on there? Well, I would like to see that opening sequence that was cut out. Part mm-hmm. of that would have been cool with the high fall and the family dying and all of that. And then when I was in the Punisher, when I was just uh, Frank Castle before everything went south. Yeah. That would have been fun. And I would love to see some of the some of the training sequences, fight training sequences with those two Japanese guys. Oh, yeah, we were yeah. Training. That would have been fun, too. Did you have input into those trainings as, as someone who'd been there and done a lot of martial arts and someone who was, you know, clearly the, the name of the film? Yes, I did. And I had my sensei there who actually, him and uh, Robert came and became good friends. He was a British guy. So he was there helping with choreographing some of the fights to make him real and all, all that. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a good experience. Same question as before. They call you and say, Masters of the Universe is going to have a Blu-ray special edition what feature would you want to be on that disc? <laughs> oh, I don't know. The deleted scene where you have like a jacket on? Yeah, right. That one. Oh, actually, <laughs> there's one scene I like to see. I jump out of this window. There, I come. I can't remember this actual story, but I, I punch through a window with my um, sword and I jump onto this disc that's hovering. 
in the movie, which was actually in this. I have to make the jump onto a disc that's just there, right? The platform. Mm -hmm. And it's a real jump. It's like three stories up. And I, it's middle of the night. And I, and I'm in my freaking outfit, freezing as usual. <laughs> so I, I punch through the window and I, I leap out and I realize there's no boxes. They put, forgot to put the boxes down around the platform. And I just, it was oh, just a jump shit. for two seconds, but I, I, I just, you know, I got cold inside and I, I knew if I, if I, miss i'm gonna die but oh, at least get seriously hurt i made it but but that would be cool to see some behind the scenes of that and i know when i told them there i could see the director went white and somebody probably got fired i i'm sure i had tequila by then i forgot what happened but <laughs> i was in the tequila bar there, that's the scene i want to see is he-man drinking tequila i yeah, would watch there was that. a lot of those in those days holding Back up the bottle the i have the power i have the power mr lundgren thank you so thank much you. for taking some time thanks Thank you so much for coming on the Launchpad podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here. I hope Thanks. you enjoyed my childhood as much as I did. <laughs> no, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed all your questions. It was a really nice interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. We are the Launchpad podcast. How do you feel about secret handshakes? You want to know the Launchpad podcast secret handshake? Okay, why not? All right, so we're going to go sideways. Uh -huh. When we clap, we invert, and then when we go up, we make like a raspberry noise. Okay. okay. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Logan have a great night alright thanks freaking amazing Matt you did it again I love it when you go out on field trips and get these amazing interviews because you always get to ask people these questions that maybe they hadn't heard before like I assume Dolph Lundgren always hears about like oh man you were so good in Rocky oh man Creed's amazing oh man Aquaman was super cool but like nobody gets to talk to him about that movie that nobody watched <laughs> which is it's cool and you know I think you and I as uh, I won't say journalists but as people that interview other people I think we kind of pride ourselves on not doing the same interview over and over and over again and I hope that a lot of our guests would agree that at least it's interesting and it's not the same shit like at the end of this interview Dolph Lundgren said hey that was really fun that was great and uh, I, I love to hear that you and I both have gotten that from a lot of different guests that we've interviewed and I think that makes it cool for them as well as for us because I think you and I kind of wear our nerd passion on our sleeves and I think someone like in this case, Dolph Lundgren sees that I fucking love He-Man and I loved Punisher and forget what like the box office says or even what like public opinion of it is. We love that and we want to talk about it because we like it. We're not poking fun. We're not making fun of that. We're not agreeing and, and being like, why did you do that? How could we do like we love this stuff? And I think it's yeah. very apparent when you talk to us that that's where we're coming from. You've said it before. It turns less less of an interview and more of a conversation, which is I hope I hope you guys agree with that. But that's kind of how we feel. And that's the vibe that we try to set up. And I totally Totally agree. I got into He-Man late in life. Like it wasn't until after college that I got into He-Man. So <laughs> <laughs> making fun of Rumi there. Oh, ah, uh, real cool. I was just slightly too young to be the target audience for He-Man. I mean, I had some toys for sure, but you know, I saw some of the cartoon episodes. But by the time I saw Masters of the Universe as a movie, I was like, "This is sick! What are people complaining <laughs> about? This is great! I'm having a good time." I got Dolph Lundgren with no shirt on, flying through a city, fighting monsters and kicking ass. I mean, how great is this? Matt, we did this bitchin' art project with this interview. We re recreated some amazing images. It was the 
The Amazing Spider-Man 129, which was written in, and Punisher was created by Jerry Conway, who we, we l- released his interview last week. You got to go and talk to him. And that was amazing. And then we also did the Punisher Max number nine interior art, which uh, who, who drew that? Leandro Fernandez and Garth Ennis wrote it. Leandro Fernandez did both the pencil and the inks. And I actually own the original art for that, which is super cool. Sitting and, on your wall, dude. That's uh, and yeah, that, like, amazing. It's, it's, I, lo- I mean, I love that page. Punisher Max, you, you know, Rumi and I love that series. And if you guys have read that, I think that's the definitive Punisher right there. But when you read through it, it's kind of like a real world kind of Punisher. It's not a lot of superhero nonsense. So there's not as much of him in the skull shirt as there could be. And if there is, they're not really posing him towards camera every time. But I have this great full size splash. I think it's like a, you know, almost like a four fifth splash page is the title page of, of Punisher Max 9, where he's turning around with one hand with a shotgun blowing these people that are kind of behind him through a door. It's a beautiful shot of him. His face is, you know, uh, leaning backwards, his arm one-handed, assault shotgunning these people through a door, and there's a beautiful shot of his shirt. There's not as many of those cool, big, exciting, action-y splash pages featuring him with the shirt in the series as you would think. You know, it was like a, a hundred issues or so, but you wouldn't think, you'd think that there would be more of those flashy, splashy images. There's not. So I actually get a lot of offers on this one page that I have. And we got to recreate it yeah. with us in I it. know, and uh, yeah, and you know, Rumi has heard this for so long, but I've always wanted Dolph Lundgren to be in that Punisher shirt because that movie's fucking perfect, except he doesn't What was shirt. it like to ask Dolph Lundgren, hey, um, you want to put on a shirt for me and play a little dress up? Like, what, how did that come about? Well, it was awkward because he's like, I don't like to wear shirts. I usually do most of my movies topless. And I was like, touche. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, can I just fucking take my shirt off and walk around a little bit? I was like, I guess so. (laughs) So after he did that, no, I'm just kidding. So like, what was it like to get him in the shirt? How did this Genesis come about to be like, hey, we're going to make you pose with guns? Well, for the longest time, and you know, you know this, Rumi, once they said, yeah, like from the get go, they said they were down for an interview, but he's always so friggin' busy. You go to his IMDb page, he does like 20 movies a minute. He's just so busy doing stuff. So we would, you know, schedule a tentative thing. Okay, let's, let's talk next week. We'll, we'll, let's coordinate something for Friday. Once we scheduled a time, I, you know, I started to, to throw, hey, do you think he would do a shoot with us? A couple pictures of him in the Punisher shirt. <laughs> and his assistant wrote back, yeah, that sounds cool. He wouldn't mind doing that. And I wrote back, well, in, you know, in a perfect world, we don't want, you know, anything again, as much as he's comfortable with, but we'd love to do uh, something where we recreated an image or two from the comics. So they seemed okay for that, but it was, you know, he wasn't obviously wasn't signing on for anything. So I picked up maybe 10, 12 different really recognizable Punisher pictures, including one, there's a cover of him in boxing gloves. Like it's the Punisher with a cutoff Punisher shirt and he's wearing boxing gloves. It's kind of a famous Punisher image, but I picked a bunch and I figured we could just do quick shoots of a bunch of them. So when I yeah. got there, the first thing he said was, tell me about these pictures. And I said, oh, well, we want to do recreation. He's like, I don't want it to look silly. And I was like, oh no, that's... <laughs> no, we do yeah. though. We, we want it to be real goofy. Uh, we're, we're a bunch of Mickey Mouse assholes. Here we go. Well, I was like, you don't know us, sir, but we're very professional. We have dildo pizzas and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he listened to the dildo pizza episode, and that's why he said, for, like, it was one of the first things he said was, I just don't want it to look silly. And I said, no, I agree with you, and that's something we're, we're going to, you know, we're purposely not going to do either. We want this to be cool. So I showed him some of the images that I had, and I, he was thinking about it. He said, let's do the interview first. So I said, oh, absolutely. So we did the interview. And I could tell, like, we kind of got in the same vibe. He was, you could hear, he's just having a good time. I mean, I got him to do the fucking, the secret handshake, you know? Right. And to be honest, lesser stars than Dolph Lundgren have refused to do the handshake. <laughs> 
it's true. Yeah, that's right. People who have not gone up against Jean-Claude Van Damme have kind of poo-pooed the handshake. You're like, really? But no, he was having a good time. And uh, afterwards, he's like, all right, let's do those pictures. So I whipped out my computer and he looked out all the images. He immediately picked out Amazing Spider-Man 129. And for those of you who don't know, that is the Punisher's first appearance. It's written by Jerry Conway, who also wrote The Death of the Stacys and a whole bunch of other just amazing, amazing books. Marvel and DC, but he's a I'm a Marvel guy with him. That's the yellow cover that's got Punisher aiming at Spider-Man upside down. He picked that one immediately, and then he picked the Punisher nine one, uh, Punisher Max number nine immediately. Uh, he's like, these look cool, and I was kind of hoping that we would do like ten or twelve and just take a couple quick shots for each pose. But he took these two, and he must have done. 15, 20 takes of each pose. I had ordered all these airsoft guns and prop guns that looked great, specifically like ones in these pictures. The idea of bringing those to the shoot and then whichever one he wanted to do, those are the guns that would use. Because the interview was confirmed very last minute by his people, I ordered all these guns like overnight and they were supposed to get here the day of the shoot. And all day long, I'm <laughs> shitting a brick, shitting a brick. And dude, they're not coming. They're not coming. Then I see UPS's map is showing the fucking truck in my neighborhood as I'm coming home from work and I stalk the truck. I'm driving around the neighborhood in my car trying to find it. I'm calling UPS. They say that they can't <laughs> find it. I was like, you know, if I even find the truck, will they give me the box? They said, yeah, they'll they'll hand it off to you if you can prove it's you. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Um, I have a bunch of guns on your truck. I need you to give them to give me. Give me my guns. I just want to see how that conversation goes. I didn't have time. I would have just said, give me the guns. Your box, your guns. I need them. <laughs> just take the whole truck. I we'll could... figure it out later. And I was dying, dude, because some of those guns... And you know, because I was sending you pictures and stuff, some of those guns I had specifically gotten because they were from almost exactly the same gun that was depicted in this image or that image. So I was fretting, but I was like, you know what? It's more important to be there on time. I talked with Rumi. Rumi said, we can always compliment after the fact if we have to. I'm a professional. You are. And I knew you'd have my back digitally. So I started out and then Krista, as freaking great a photographer, she's also an amazing friend. I was like, Krista, before you get to the interview, can you swing by my house and see if there's fucking <laughs> guns lying everywhere <laughs> dude it was guns and trench coats so she's like sure but i'm gonna be late to the interview i was like that's okay don't worry about it we don't need you for the initial part anyway it turned out she was able to swing by here a little bit later and still get there before the interview started so that was good however the guns still weren't here the guns didn't show up i literally got a confirmation text on my phone on the way home from the interview and it was killing me because then i was, was sitting with dolph lundgren and the he picks this punisher max nine images one of my favorite images of punisher ever single image and that assault shotgun he's using i bought the exact same replica and i know it's just fucking <laughs> sitting here on my porch sitting on your fucking porch uh, but rumi rumi and i had it anticipated that that might happen so rumi gave me some of his old prop guns including one that like means a lot to you right Rumi? yeah dude the m16 style gun that he's shooting on the amazing spider-man cover his origins cover that was the m16 i used in high school to make my first like vietnam film i made this Vietnam film in the woods with my friends. It is ridiculous. Probably can't be shown ever at any time <laughs> ever again because it is so ridiculous. But that was like me trying to really cut my chops at how to make a movie. And I bought all these airsoft guns to use in the movie. And that M16 was the one that I kept as like, that's my souvenir from that, from making tags. And holy shit, I didn't even realize it until you and I talked about it, that that was the one that he used in that image. And that's super special to me now. And that's amazing. And it's cool because if you look at the original Amazing Spider-Man cover, that gun doesn't look like, I mean, I'm not a gun guy, but that doesn't look like a real gun that looks like a comic book gun. That's a comic book gun. For so sure. So there's 
like no way we could have gotten that gun anyway. We could have fabricated it, but like this looks better. It like makes more sense with the live action actor. But when you look at the two, the guns look similar enough, at least in silhouette and shape. So that worked perfect. And and he was, dude. I tell you, you know, you and I've done a lot of stuff like this. He was just the ever constant professional. With Krista would shoot him a couple times with the camera. He'd walk over and look over her shoulder and be like, "Okay, I need to drop my elbow more." He would do it again. He'd be like, "Okay," and he'd tell Krista, "You need to be down a little bit more, and then I'll turn clockwise a bit." And we took so many until he got that perfect. And if you guys haven't looked yet, look at the original images that we, uh, the, the published images that we posted with our recreations. And it's pretty spot on. I mean, especially his positioning. I'd love to say that I directed Dolph Lundgren, but I was like, will you do this? He's like, yes. Boom, boom, boom. This is what we're going to do. Put it like this. Let me see it. Good. He helped it happen. He made that happen. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. We could not have done this in the quality that it is if he hadn't been so into it. So like for him to be at the beginning, be like, I don't know if I want to take some silly pictures to be like, fuck yeah, let's take some sweet ass pictures. That's amazing, dude. And I was real worried too because originally once we got the okay that the interview was going to happen at this week at this fancy hotel and Dolph and his people had said that they're going to, you know, would do these recreations. I wrote to his people and we're like, listen, I have these fake guns. They're airsoft. They're not capable of really firing. We've doctored them to be incapable of even firing the airsoft pellets. They're not, you know, not operational at all can we bring these to these hotel? And people were like, well, we don't really know. I was like, will you please, you know, because there's a hotel that Dolph Lundgren goes to all the time. Can you see the headline? It's like, idiot podcasters cause <laughs> panic at Beverly Hills Hotel with guns. Oh, hey, any publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> Not if you're in jail, Rumi. Well, no, that, my prop, my thought was if we did that and got kicked out or arrested before he put the shirt on, it would all be, be for naught. But if I could at least get him in the Punisher shirt, it'd be worth going to the clink, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the arrest photos are you and Dolph Lundgren in a Punisher shirt? Can you imagine me and Dolph Lundgren sitting next to each other in like a holding cell? And he's like, I can't believe you did this. <laughs> I, will, I will break you. <laughs> These guys come up to you and you're like, uh, I'll trade him for cigarettes right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, I'm laughing now because it came out and you and Eric and Krista did, did such an amazing job on it. But I was shitting a brick because it originally looked like it might not happen. And then I wrote to his people and they said, oh, yeah, the hotel's not comfortable with it. And I was like, no, it, it is the week of it is way too close. We have to be able to do this. So I called the hotel. It's like, listen, we're a podcast. We've done this stuff before. I've worked with fake props. It's, it's absolutely fake. I will show you, you know, anyone there who wants to look at it and see that it's fake. We can do it at your discretion, at your time frame wherever in the hotel you want. So I talked to like an events manager who's like, you know, Mr. Lundgren comes in here all the time. And if he says it's okay, that's okay with us. Just, you know, find a secluded. And I was like, oh, thank God. So we're doing it. And you had said find a blank background. So we're doing it like near this pool. And it just so happened no one was there anymore. And just trying to get these shots. And he did great job. And then for the Punisher Max one, it's killing me because now I'm sitting here with this fucking movie star. You don't star. have the gun. Yeah. And he picks the exact image. The, the one gun that I got that was as close to the drawn image as possible is that gun and it's sitting on my goddamn porch and I'm trying to think who else could I possibly get to drive it down here and I was like that's more more problems than I thought you and I had talked about it just in case would we be able to comp it in after so I knew we could again Dolph Lundgren really just took his time making sure that he had the exact pose he had the shirt like I said there was two or three trench coats in that Amazon box as well in the original image he has a trench coat but from the get go we're like look if he's in a similar pose we want it to be recognizable right if it doesn't match exactly we'll be okay with that and 
like getting these images, it was so awesome to start putting them together. But you shit enough bricks you could build a house with. <laughs> but like, I get this image and, you know, it's Dolph Lundgren. He's missing. He doesn't have the shotgun and he doesn't have, you know, there, there's all these different things. But like, we did the best we could to make it recognizable with us and to make it serious. And for like the cover, I loved working on the cover because I started with a blank yellow page. I matched the color of the original yellow page. And that's what I start with, just a big yellow page. And then I started recreating all the chirons and the text effects and the spider web and building out the areas. So like Matt, when you send me this image of you like bent over backwards, like Spider-Man upside down, I take that, I make your shoes red. So you're a little bit more Spider-Man than you were before. I built the buildings, the buildings along the side of the image are CGI buildings from a city pack. You know, I put Dolph Lundgren in there with the muzzle flash. I had the explosions on your building. I put myself up in the corner, like little Spider-Man, just like on the original, but like matching all the text and matching kind of as close as I can to the, the spacing of it and what it's says, which is really hard to do when the Launchpad podcast isn't close to the amazing Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. But like you make it work and enough so that I think when people see it, they know exactly what issue that is from. And when you look at the, like I said before, look at the, the original published cover and the one Rumi did. And Rumi did that one all by himself. It, 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 it's amazing and it looks so goddamn close. And you even have like creases in the paper and you know, imperfections and stuff. And it you know, it, it aging, it looks fucking like a comic book cover. And you sent me with that one you sent me the perfect amount of <laughs> stages huh yeah like because yeah. you didn't do it every stage and you didn't do it very often but you did just enough that i was like like the first one was very flat like that flat in terms of there was not a lot of razzle dazzle all the shapes were there or uh, me you and him were there the text was there i don't even know if the text was there i don't think the text was there the first time and i was like okay i can see it i knew it wasn't done yet but even that got me excited then you started sending me i think you sent me two other stages where i was like oh my god it looks like it looks just like the book oh my god it looks just like the book then the final one i was like, holy shit, it looks so friggin' cool. It looked great. And uh, then for the next one, we had our buddy Eric Rose help out, and we essentially gave him the pieces, and he started laying everything out and putting stuff together. But he pulled the background, and like, if you look at the background, the background looks like the background from the comic book. Killed it, because that background on the comic is all black and white and shadow, like, sort of references. It's not really a drawn background, and he did such a good job of realizing what that background was trying to show. Mm -hmm. And like, I was so busy at the time. I was working on like the mid-season finale of Walking Dead, which was just driving me bonkers. I was so busy and we needed somebody to help. And he stepped in and he did the compositing. He did the layout. He took us and put all the pieces together. And I really just did some finishing touches. Like he iced the cake and I just put on happy birthday at the end. He really, he did a great job. He got- Killed it. Oh, the shotgun? He put the shotgun in. Now, the shotgun came with a strap. But if you look at the original image, it's supposed to be indicating that the Punisher has turned so fast the strap is inverted up Swinging over the around. gun. It's, it's, it's showing action, which is such a cool touch. And Eric was able to to mimic that in our live action. We took a couple pictures of the shotgun, both upside down and regular, as well as the strap. And he was able to make that. And I didn't think that was like one of, like you said before, that was one of those details that I was like, if that doesn't work the first time we try it, we don't need that to be exactly the same. It doesn't have to look exactly the same. But Eric did it and it looks baller. It looks just like the frigging actual image. It looks perfect. When you get to do something like that. Like we went to San Diego Comic-Con. I was like, OK, 
okay, when we're here, we rarely are in the same room together mm. when we record these. I don't think people realize that, that how often we are not in the same room. Yeah. And it's like, we were at San Diego Comic-Con, we were busting our ass, getting tons of interviews, and it was like, okay, the last date. I was driving out, I literally had my bags in the truck, and you were like, wait, we have to take that picture. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went out in the parking lot, Cousin Mike, good old Cousin Mike, shout out to Cousin Mike, guys. <laughs> Cousin Mike starts taking pictures of this and, and we took, we did it for like 15 minutes and we got some images and like, you don't know if the lighting's going to match. You don't know what's going yeah, we on. Just You're just doing door, the best you can. Out exterior doorway in the best Western that we stay at when we go to Comic-Con and just mimicked, like no one had a gun, no one had anything. We had our shirts on and we were mimicking getting shot together, right? We were doing it in the same frame. Yeah, because that's what I wanted is I wanted us to be close enough to be together. Otherwise we're separately and I don't, and like, then I really can't make the lighting match. I will right. never be able to tell, you know, orchestrate it so that we match so we did it together and matt goes uh so do you think we got it and i was like matt i've done eight hours of this very activity trying to get a single element to work for another piece of a big shot i've done it for an entire day of filming so i hope so <laughs> but we got it the lighting was wrong but eric rose is such a pro and he was able to relight and repaint it and make it look perfect and it worked with the shotgun blast to kind of light us with the the muzzle flash and the blood and it worked out great i'm so pleased with it and huge again again thank you eric rose could not have done this without you you really helped us save a lot of time that i didn't have and at the end of the day like i am so proud of these two pieces because it's super fun to see both of us in the same frame with dolph lundgren dressed as the punisher recreating these comic images and it's just freaking cool dude so freaking cool and dude hats off to you for sure but like you said uh eric did an amazing job and our friend krista mauswitz did the photography thank you so much krista for taking bitch and pictures not only with Dolph Lundgren and myself, but later she came back to my place and we did the elements of me and the Spider-Man shirt and everything. You flipped upside down. Yeah, yeah, I was like laying kind of backwards on my driveway with my feet up on a stoop, kind of inverted. Then she was on a ladder awkwardly over me. But luckily we have that kind of friendship where that shit, that's like not nearly the weirdest thing we've done. So that's fine. <laughs> and I got to give another shout out to Casey Brandenstein. She used to work with Dolph Lundgren and she was my first link in the chain to connect to him. I reached out to her. She was a, a friend of Amanda's from a while back. They were on a, a kickball team together. I remembered that she had worked with him and I reached out and was like, hey, you know, A, do you remember me? And B, what do you think? I have this idea. Do you mind, you know, helping me try to get in touch? And she was like, you know, no promises, but I'll see what I could do. And she hooked me up with his current people and we got the ball rolling. So Casey, thank you so much for that. And again, dude, giant hats off to Rumi. Rumi makes that interview sound good. I mean, my voice is sexy as shit, but a lot of you guys don't know. Some of that is technical wizardry from Rumi. He also cuts out all the flubs and stupid shit that I say. <laughs> <laughs> doing that and the pictures man I can't thank you enough this is so important to me and you nailed it you made it look better than seriously better than I hoped it could be and it's I think it's rare that you find a roomie you know what I mean a roomie rocketeer that's like I'm gonna put the exact same amount of, of love into this as you are and you knew that this was important you saw that it was gonna be cool and I, I mean I, th yeah. I think everyone likes it and we've gotten good responses I mean how many people do you know that you could be like like, hey, I want to put myself in a picture of uh, the Punisher's first appearance with Dolph Lundgren. Do you got my back? And I'm like, I got you, Doc. And just like ridiculous you. with like fucking <laughs> filters and and you know the 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 layers of making that com the comic cover look like a cover. I mean, no joke. Since he sent me the first image of him starting to do it, I would like every once in a while I would look at it and be like, wow, look, hold it up against the original. Look how close it is. I would fucking I would do that a lot, and I still have been doing that. Now that it's released, I hope everybody 
else can check it out and everyone else thinks it's as bitching as we do, but we just think it's so fucking cool. And you can check it out on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to one of our biggest episodes. This has been something we've been working on for so long and we can't wait to get your responses. Hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you like about it. Let us know about your favorite Punisher outings. Let us know what you think about Dolph Lundgren. What do you, what do you think about the Masters of the Universe movie? Do we have any fans out there of the Masters of the Universe movie? The original Punisher movie. What do you think about that? Matt and I are in total agreement that that is the definitive Punisher movie. What do you think about that? Tell us. We can't wait to hear you. Hit us up on social media. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you love about it. And tell us how dope you think these pictures are and this interview. Guys, we love hearing from you and we appreciate it so much. You made October the biggest month we've ever had and we cannot wait to see what we do this month. Keep it going. Tell your friends about us. Listen on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Matt, on this Dolph Lundgren episode, let's do an epic blast off. We got to like flex our fucking muscles. I'm taking my shirt off right now. (laughs) I'm getting naked and climbing down in the sewer for it. Let's do this. Uh, dude, this is great. Thank you so much. We're so proud of this, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. Share this one because we're really happy with it. <laughs> oh, I will crush you. <laughs> Until next time, we are the Rocketeers and we are out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.